This episode contains mention of suicidal thoughts and teenage pregnancy. Please be advised. Do you remember the first time you fell in deep, unquestionable love? A love that was so fierce it made you throw caution to the wind? She just made me feel... <laughs> she just made me feel uh, alive. A love that is young, passionate, and carefree? I can recall him uh, leaning against me on the side of the garage, putting his arms around me and kissing me, and I thought I was going to explode. I was so excited. Our story starts and ends with this kind of intoxicating love. There's no question about it. I, I was a flirt and she had me. <laughs> you know what they say, the higher you fly, the harder you fall. Dennis and Karen venture into love with the carefree passion and ignorance of youth. Until one day, their fairy tale world is turned upside down. We were parked in a lonely country road, listening to music. She told me she was, she was pregnant. I remember he was angry at first when I said I'm pregnant. I got angry at myself because I knew better. I just let her down, and that's the last thing in the world I'd ever want to do is let Karen lay him down. But he had big time. I'm Tay Diggs, and from Sony Music Entertainment, this is You Had Me at Hello, the show where everyday people share their extraordinary stories of how they met and fell in love and sometimes how things later fell apart. Love, its highs and lows, mess and drama, awkwardness and laughs. Come with us as we celebrate all of it. Today's story is a huge, romantic, sweeping epic spanning five decades with a twist at the end that is so incredible, you won't believe it happened. But it did. Every word is true. Every single word. This is In Our Own Sweet Time, part one. We start our tale at a party in 2014. October 23rd, 2014, I was at this party, and the hostess of the party said we're going to play a game. That's Dennis. In 2014, he's in his mid-60s, a divorcee living in Minnesota. And she said one question. The question is, if your primary physician gave you 60 days to live, who is one person you'd like to take out to dinner? Dennis is the perfect guest for this classic party game. Always a smile on his face, full of warmth and honesty. If you had 60 days to live, who would you take out to dinner? I would want to think on that for a bit, but not Dennis. And I went around the room and people, they were pondering between a politician and a movie star. But Dennis isn't interested in having dinner with a politician or a movie star. When it's finally his turn, he surprises everyone, including himself. His answer comes straight from the heart. Automatically, just an automatic, it just roll out of, of, out of my heart, I suppose. I said, Karen Lehman. Karen Lehman. 
And then the questions started coming at me. Who is uh, Karen Lehman, Denny? Oh, she's my high school uh, sweetheart. Where does she live? Don't know. Is she married? Don't know. Does she have a family? Don't know. And finally, I said, time out. You guys, you asked me a question, I gave you the answer. That's all I know. When your heart speaks, that's all you need to know. Dennis has no idea where she is, but he knows that if he has only a short amount of time left, he wants to spend it with Karen, his high school sweetheart. Let's take a step back from that 2014 dinner party to the 1950s, where Dennis grew up in a small town in Minnesota called Brownton. Population between five and 600. Brownton may be small, but it's thriving. Brownton was a, a prosperous little city. It had um, th- uh, four supermarkets, a hardware store, uh, two uh, doctors, a high school K through uh, 12, totaling about 1,200 students. We had a baseball team and a bandstand, and uh, it was it's a, a great little community. It's like walking onto the set of one of those Golden Age movies small-town USA, bustling with community and pride. It's a tight-knit community full of hard workers. If you walk into the Red Owl grocery store, you might meet Karen Lehman. My father owned the local Red Owl grocery store, and what I remember was the the smell of the coffee grinder, uh, herring was in a big wooden bucket in a meat case. He would slice the meat like an old-fashioned deli. Karen often helps out in the family store. We'd have big barrels or cardboard boxes full of bulk candy that he would bag up and weigh on this old-fashioned scale. I would help him bag groceries and clean, and I was rewarded with candy bars or dreamsicles from the freezer or some sort of treat. Like almost all the kids in town, Karen attends the local school. She plays clarinet in the school band, studies hard, and is a grade A student. She's quiet and a bit reserved, much more interested in art and music than sports. I was a very, I guess, introverted type person from a young age and to this day for, I guess, uh, all my life. Well, I was wild. I mean, I, 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 I was a jock. I played football, basketball, and baseball, and ran on track. Very out, outgoing. My, I've been that way my whole life. In such a small town, it's only a matter of time before Karen and Dennis notice each other. When Karen is 12 and Dennis is 14, these two young souls start a journey toward each other that would unite them forever. She had a page boy haircut. I thought she was a very attractive girl. Okay, picture Jennifer Grey as baby in Dirty Dancing, only as a younger brunette with glasses, less outspoken, a little shyer. That's Karen. And for Dennis, imagine a young Leonardo DiCaprio with a buzz cut. 
probably attracted my attention because he was a very good-looking person, good-looking boy, and he was very outgoing. Contrary to my introvertness, he was an extrovert, and he was a very popular guy. So as we would hang out after school at the local hotel, because there was a, a restaurant in the hotel with a jukebox, we would gather there for cherry cokes and french fries and play music on the jukebox. We were probably listening to a lot of Ricky Nelson, Elvis Presley songs, Paul Anka, Everly Brothers, that sort of music. So it was a fun time. Can't you just picture Dennis and Karen giving each other the eye over their cherry cokes? They might have completely opposite personalities, but how many times have we seen the big man on campus fall for the quiet, studious girl? What really attracted me to Karen was her kindness. Dennis needs someone to balance out his gregariousness, and Karen's introverted nature does so perfectly. As their puppy love grows, Dennis and Karen find every chance to spend time alone. I'd walk her home from school, and I'd be late for football practice every night. And I didn't care. We would hold hands, and we would talk about our day or the future or whatever came to mind. And sometimes it was just nice being quiet. Over a period of time, we just got closer and closer. And pretty soon, I said, what the hell, I'm going to kiss you. And I kissed her, and it's just, just the way it was. I can recall him uh, leaning against me on the side of the garage, putting his arms around me and kissing me. And I thought I was going to explode. I was so excited. And, uh, and, I, was, and I was a flirt. There's no question about it. I, I was a flirt, and she had me. <laughs> As Dennis and Karen spend more time together, their adolescent curiosity blooms. Broughton had a baseball team, and I can recall going underneath the bleachers and kissing him and, and kind of making out instead of watching the baseball game. Our concentration was not on the game when we were together. There is no way to deny these two are going steady, as they used to say. Soon, they begin going to dances together, a sure sign they are a serious couple. In the school cafeteria, they would move the tables out of the way and there would be a, a record player sitting in the window where the lunch was normally served. We'd dance to uh, Buddy Holly and I saw the Elvis Presley and those guys. Slow dancing with Dennis was so relaxing and calm because I could feel his heart beating against my, my chest and his warm hand around my, my waist. So it was just very comforting knowing that I was with this handsome guy. I was his girlfriend. Over the next two years, Dennis and Karen will grow even closer, their connection strengthening with the carefree passion and ignorance of youth. When he's 16 and Karen is 14, Dennis lands a job at a mink farm just outside of town. 
He's got big money now, so he can afford to buy a car. They go to the local drive-in, maybe not exactly watching the movie. Then we go to drive-in movies, in, uh, which uh, the people call the passion pit. And uh, we'd sit in the back seat and had popcorn and necked with your girlfriend. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the truth. These young lovebirds are completely taken with each other and floating through the high of their first love. They're in the moment with no thought for the consequences. She just made me feel, <laughs> she just made me feel uh, uh, um, alive. Then, out of nowhere, their fairy tale world is turned upside down. And the doctor came in and said, you are pregnant. That's after the break. These days, you can't go anywhere on the internet without running into the most horrible takes. You know, your good old-fashioned homophobes, or your self-proclaimed alpha males, who are writing two-page articles titled, How to Score the Perfect Female in 10 Days. If you are just as sick of these outdated takes as we are, you will love our podcast, Outspoken, hosted by me, Sam Collins, and my incredible partner, Shannon. We are an LGBT couple who have seen it all, been called it all, and are ready to take on the never-ending world of outrageous online opinions. Each week, we bring you the most ridiculous videos, hot takes, and hellbent news we come across on the internet. So, come laugh with us as we dismantle outdated ideologies and tear apart the most confident idiots on the internet on our podcast, Outspoken. You can follow and listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you are listening right now. Hey guys, it's Cheyenne Davis. You may know me from MTV's Teen Mom OG or Think Loud Crew podcast. I'm here with my dad, Papa Floyd, to tell you about our new podcast, Unfiltered Kitchen. The kitchen is the hub of the household for many of us. The one-stop shop for conversations both big and small. Cheyenne and I have been having open conversations about all aspects of life in our kitchen since well before she was able to see over the counter. And now we're inviting you into our own kitchen as a part of the family. Unfiltered Kitchen is a two-way street. I share my advice on cocktails, cooking, parenting, and the lessons I've learned. And I inform my dad what it's like to raise kids today, how generational barriers affect us, and the joys of being a daughter. Well, your daughter. Get ready for a whole lot of unfiltered advice. You can take it or leave it, but you're never going to leave this table feeling hungry for more. Listen to Unfiltered Kitchen wherever you get your podcasts. Why don't you tell me exactly what is going on? It's 1961. We're at another school dance where the cafeteria tables have been pushed against the wall and teenagers float dreamily across the polished floor. It's one of those slow numbers that Karen and Dennis like so much. Her head is resting on his chest as they sway to the music. And uh, she says, uh, she whispered in my ear, she says, I gotta tell you something. This kind of discussion should not take place on the school dance floor, so Karen leads Dennis out to the car. They drive away to find some privacy. We were parked in a lonely country road, listening to music. She told me she was she was pregnant. 
I remember he was angry at first when I said I'm pregnant. I got angry at myself because I knew better. I just let her down. And that's the last thing in the world I'd ever want to do is let Karen lay him down. Dennis begins thinking more logically. Can they get married and start a family? How will he provide for a wife and child? Will his job at the mink farm give him enough to do right by Karen? I thought I could buy the way out or, uh, or something, what it was, was going to cost and all this other stuff. Right there in the car, he proposes. I asked her to marry me, and I said, we can make it. I will finish um, high school. I'll go on to college, and we can make it. That was my, that was my girlfriend. That was, that was the love of uh, my life. And I said, no, my parents think I'm too young to get married. And he said, well, we'll work through this some way. Karen had found out she was pregnant a few days before she told Dennis. So by this point, she's already done a lot of thinking, trying to figure out what's next. Her mother had been there when the doctor broke the news. And I could hardly believe it because I thought that I was too young to get pregnant. I guess my parents didn't do a very good job of teaching me about the birds and the bees back then, so I was very shocked. In almost any context and at any time, becoming pregnant at 14 is a huge challenge for everyone involved. But in 1961, there was still much shame and secrecy associated with pregnancy. At any age, Nine years earlier, in 1952, Lucille Ball was the first pregnant woman seen on television in her show, I Love Lucy. But no one was allowed to say the word pregnant on air. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what's the matter with me. I've been getting a lot of rest and then I wake up feeling all dragged out in the morning. I don't have much energy and yet I've been putting on a lot of weight. I just feel bleh. <laughs> well, maybe you need some vitamin pills or a liver shot or something. Yeah. Listen, don't tell Ricky that I went to see the doctor. No sense worrying him. Okay. People didn't talk about sex education, except to praise good boys and girls for waiting until marriage. Abortion was illegal. Single mothers were ostracized and shunned, as if their condition was contagious. But I was also embarrassed because in that era during the 50s and early 60s when this was going on it was really taboo to get pregnant before you were married other women who got pregnant would just go away for a few months and come back and say they were uh, staying with relatives or make some excuse as to why they were out of town karen's fear of judgment takes her to a very dark place Please be advised that the next part is upsetting. I was really concerned as to what I was going to do. I had even considered um, at some point later after I found out that I was pregnant that maybe I should even commit suicide if it was going to be that embarrassing for me and for my parents to, or even Dennis, to get pregnant and have this child. Karen's parents aren't angry with her. They work with her to figure out all available options. She can't marry Dennis, she's too young, and everyone agrees that she should finish her education. Her parents don't want the responsibility of raising another child, so what other options are there? 
the family's Lutheran pastor has a suggestion. To go talk to Lutheran Social Services in Minneapolis to see if adoption was a, a possibility. Meanwhile, Dennis is realizing that Karen's parents are much more understanding than the people of Broughton as word starts to spread. And then, word filters through to his parents. People in, in, in a small town, they love to gossip. When the kids in school found out about it, they went home and they told their uh, mother and father and they in turn, word just got out. And uh, it was just, it was, a, it was a bad deal. It was a bad deal. Dennis's mother, who was very religious, couldn't bear the shame. So we left town. We left Broughton. We moved away because of the embarrassment. And we moved into Minneapolis for my senior year of high school. As a result, Karen is left alone to make the biggest decision of her life. She takes the only path that feels open to her. I guess the most reasonable option was to go through the pregnancy and place the child for adoption. Karen and her parents decide that Lutheran Social Services will help them arrange for the baby to be adopted once the child is born. But she is quietly determined to finish up the school year first. Even with the silent support of her school and friends, Karen knows that soon she will have to prepare to travel miles away from her family to give birth at the Lutheran Home for Unwed Mothers. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When she's around six months pregnant, Karen arrives at the Lutheran Social Services Home for Unwed Mothers in St. Paul, Minneapolis, about a 90-minute drive from Broughton. It's housed in a paint-by-numbers suburban terrace with no sign on the outside. Discretion is key. Her first impressions aren't good. The one thing that I recall was meeting with a, a psychologist who was trying to tell me that I had gotten pregnant on purpose because I hated my parents. That couldn't be further from the truth. But she swallows her indignation and joins six other women at the Home for Unwed Mothers. But Karen works through it, and they fall into a routine. It was kind of a family living situation. We were each delegated certain 
duties and chores to do, and we ate our meals together like a family. But we were also instructed in taking care of ourselves. We had doctor's appointments to go to just to get us prepared to give birth. The Lutheran Social Services Home was one of more than 200 homes for unwed mothers across the U.S. during the 1950s. Karen joined roughly 25,000 young women who walked through those doors. By the mid-1960s, more than 80% gave their babies up for adoption. Karen is now 15. She finds herself coping with the changes in her pregnant body and living away from home for the first time on her own. She faces all this with her natural studious calm and practicality. Meanwhile, Dennis, as usual, feels his emotions loudly. I couldn't call her. I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't come over there unannounced. In fact, they wouldn't let the boyfriends allowed in there. When I woke up August 13th, 1961, I woke up with contractions and... My house mother took me immediately to the hospital and stayed with me throughout the birth process. At uh, about 10.30 in the morning, I gave birth to this beautiful baby girl. I remember the nurse giving me the, the baby to hold, and it was very comforting to know that I had given birth to this little person but at the same time, I felt reluctant to give her up. The adoption is already in motion. In a small act of rebellion, she names her daughter... Denise Deanne. Denise Deanne, after Dennis, who Karen manages to contact. Dennis rushes to the hospital and holds Denise in his arms for the very first time. You know, and you're, you're holding this, this child, this newborn in your arms, and she's got part of your blood in, in her, and she's going to be taken away, and you'll never see her again. He looked awkward. <laughs> I think he was afraid she was going to break or something. He was just kind of standing there still, not wanting to move her, just the way the nurse placed her in his arms. The young family has only an hour or two together, and then it's time for baby Denise to go to the adoption agency. I don't recall that I said anything. I probably had tears in my eyes, but I couldn't do much more than that. With emotions high and so much unsaid between them, Karen and Dennis are left alone in the hospital room. She put her head on my, on my chest and um, we're standing there and um, we'll see you later. I'll give you a call. Never saw her later. When Dennis left the hospital room that day when Denise was born, I wasn't too sure that we were going to be able to get together again. I really didn't know if it was proper for me to contact him or if he even wanted to continue seeing me to contact me. I just went back home to Broughton feeling like this should just be something that I put behind me and move forward with my life. Karen settles back into school life and Dennis graduates high school. He has no plan. He wanders the streets of Minneapolis looking for some direction and comes across an army recruitment poster. 
you know, the, the, the military man pointing his finger at you. And I went in there and I said, I want to join the Army. He says, okay, you're going in soon. I said, fine. I said, I'll go tomorrow. It was not quite tomorrow. After eight weeks of basic training in Louisiana, Dennis gets shipped off to a military base in Germany. I couldn't reach Karen, even to tell her I was leaving the country. No more kisses under the bleachers. No more drive-in movies. No more slow dances. Thousands of miles now separate Karen and Dennis. And after all that has happened, neither is sure if the other wants to hear from them. So, they fall completely out of touch. Now this is where the story could have ended. But it is so far from over. In the next episode, Dennis returns from the army determined to rekindle their lost romance. The feeling was there. I just said that, uh, would you marry me now? Karen is completely overwhelmed by the feelings she tried to bury. I was so taken aback by his finding me after all those years. I was almost breathless. But there are even more twists and turns ahead than either of them could possibly imagine. And I said, listen, sweetheart, we don't have to go through this if you don't want to. She's, well, we came this far, so let's finish the route. Get your snacks and tissues ready for part two. You Had Me at Hello is a Sony Music Entertainment production. It's hosted by me, Tay Diggs. The producers were Dave Anderson and Jaja Muhammad. The junior producer is Martha Miller. The production coordinators are E.K. Egbatola and Lily Hambley. Peggy Sutton is a story editor. It was written by Nicole Perkins and the production team. Alciona Mick composed the original music. The sound designer is Tom Drew. Isis Thompson, Louisa Field, and Tay Diggs are the executive producers. Special thanks to Jez Nelson, Chris Skinner, and Julia Stevenson. If you have an incredible love story, please reach out to us at lovestories at sonymusic.com. We'd love to hear it.